0: Oh, just a little dry, it's fine, right? Nothing says Merry Christmas like the Griswold family. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, hey, it is good to see all of you again here tonight. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Can I just say that we have worshiped in this gymnasium for five years, and I have never seen it so beautiful in here. That is just a testament to who God is and his faithfulness in this congregation. So yeah, you can give God praise for that. Absolutely. You bet. It is it is so good to be together. And sometimes I'm reminded when we worship uh, and uh, praise our Savior in an elementary school gym that He came to a manger. He came into a feeding trough of cattle. And if God can show up there, He can show up anywhere. Especially Hubble Elementary School on Christmas Eve. So praise God, praise God for that. We are so glad uh, that you're here. And can I just say that I love Christmas. Do you love Christmas? I love everything that goes along with Christmas. I love uh, the carols and I love the lights and I love uh, worshiping as a church family. I love eggnog. Does anybody love eggnog? So you either love it or hate it, right? Well, there's a lot of eggnog flowing in our house these days. I, I love everything about Christmas, even, uh, even some of the things that are, that are a little bit strange, but I don't love all the craziness. I don't love all the, the, the hype that goes around it because when it really comes down to it, it's about a baby who became a man who is our... Savior. At the same time, we have an incredible, incredible opportunity tonight to take a step back and maybe to receive Christmas anew this year. Maybe for you, this is your first Christmas Eve service ever, and maybe for you, it's your 50th or your 75th, whatever it is. Maybe Christmas is going to be new. Brand new for you this year because we have a reason to celebrate. And speaking of that, some of you are familiar with how we do things here at Hope Des Moines. Some of you are not. If you've been around for a while, you're going to walk out of here tonight and go, that was so not Lutheran. And that's okay, because that's not necessarily our goal. Our goal is to uh, extend the kingdom of God here in the city of Des Moines. And one way that we do that in worship is that this is not a one-way dialogue. So if you thought you were going to come here tonight and have a nice, quiet, peaceful Christmas Eve service and just have a preacher yak at you for about a half an hour, that's not the case. This is a two-way street. And so a couple rules here about worshiping at Hope Des Moines. Number one, if I say amen or praise the Lord, you can holler back whatever you want to. You can say amen, hallelujah, do a little dance in the eye. Uh, whatever fits your fancy and secondly I want you to laugh do you like to laugh okay seven of you like to laugh the rest of you maybe you should watch the movie the Grinch or something like that so to, to help you do that to experience some Christian joy maybe you've never really had a good old-fashioned belly laugh at worship but if we can't laugh deep from within us on christmas when can we laugh so i'm going to give you a little practice there's going to be multiple opportunities to laugh it's okay it's okay you can do it so i'm going to count to 3 and i want you to laugh tonight from deep in your soul maybe the can you can't remember the last time you had a really deep laugh from the gut i'm not talking about just being happy I'm talking about a joy this Christmas because a Savior has come and we have reason to celebrate. I don't care what you sound like. Scripture says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, okay? So even if the person next to you sounds terrible, just look at him and give him one of these smiles. Like, hey, that's great, all right? So on the count of three, I want to hear it, all right? You're just going to let it out. Just do a deep belly laugh. One, two, three. Okay, that's good. Two things, One, some, some of you, a lot of you sound like a pack of hyenas, and number, and number two, that was awesome, praise God, that was awesome, nothing, nothing says Merry Christmas. We, you know, we do have a reason to celebrate because the Savior has come, because a gift has come, this gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ, has come into our world, and it's a story that never gets old, it's a story that will never, ever disappoint And that's what I wanted you to to think about as you watched Clark W. Griswold. He had visions of grandeur of a a wonderful family Christmas where everything was going to be great and, and well and put together. And needless to say, everything came crashing down. If you've seen the rest of that movie, that's indicative of how the whole rest of the thing goes. And if you're Clark W. Griswold, you are disappointed with Christmas. You are thinking to yourself, if you're Clark, this is it. This is what I waited the whole year for, this good old-fashioned Christmas, and all I'm left with is a crazy family that doesn't know how to pray or pledge, and a turkey without any turkey. If I'm Clark, I'm thinking, this is it? This is what Christmas is all about? There's got to be more than this. And I think if we're honest, every single one of us tonight is asking those questions too. Think about that. Have you ever found yourself just over the course of your life at some point in different seasons of your life or whether you're experiencing a difficult time, have you ever thought to yourself, not just around Christmas, but any time of year, is there more to life than this? I mean, is is this all there is, what what I'm experiencing? I think if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us is looking for meaning to life. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for a, a foundation to build our lives on and maybe that's why you've come tonight Is you're looking for that we're all looking for something that will not disappoint us and interestingly enough that's where I want to jump into this story tonight not with uh, a baby in a manger and with shepherds and wise men I want to back up thousands of years to another group of people who didn't want to be disappointed either who had been waiting and waiting and waiting if you've been around Hope at any of our campuses the last few months, you know that we've been reading through this story, 31 of the most powerful stories of Scripture, and we've been following these people called the Israelites. And what we'll discover tonight is that the Christmas story begins far before a manger scene, that God's people, the Israelites, had been waiting for a Messiah. they have been waiting for a king to come like King David that would come in and kick out the Romans and stop their oppression. They had been waiting for thousands of years for a Messiah. And prophets like the the prophet Isaiah would come in Isaiah chapter 9 and he would say this. 2,000 years, long before Jesus ever came, Isaiah said this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then before anybody knew the names of Mary and Joseph or that the Christmas story would happen, the prophet Isaiah said this, and let's read it together up on the screen. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's what the Israelites were waiting for. That They hoped that they would not be disappointed. That's what they were looking for. And I think if we're honest too, every single one of us came here tonight probably looking for something. I don't know what it is that you're looking for, but we all came here tonight for a lot of different reasons. Some of you are here because... Well, Christmas Eve worship is a family tradition. And for others, it's, well, you know, it's a good religious thing to do. We should probably go to church on Christmas Eve. And for a lot of you, you'll do the good old-fashioned religious thing. You'll come here, you'll sing some songs, you'll go home, we'll, you know, read the Christmas story, or maybe you'll open some gifts and have dinner together as a family tonight. And then you'll do it all over again next year. And the next year. And the next year. And it becomes a tradition, but there's not really any life or joy in it. For some of you, you really have no idea why you're here tonight because there are skid marks in the parking lot because you were drugged into this place tonight. And you said, I will never step foot in a church. Well, I've got good news for you. You're not in a church because you, the people, are the church. This is an elementary school. And the person that's yakking at you up here tonight, your pastor, was one of those people that left skid marks in the parking lot because I was a pastor's kid. And the last place that I wanted to be ever was church. I would much rather be home watching football, watching the Bears, God's team. I thought that was holy enough to stay home and watch them. You can debate that later. But I didn't want to be here either. And so if that's you, if you're saying, "Eh, I'm not really big on this whole churchy thing. I'll do Christmas and Easter, but I'm not really big on the church thing. Just turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Just remind them, you're in the right place tonight. Well, no matter why you're here tonight, I, want, I don't want to tell you so much about a religion. I don't want to so much celebrate a holiday with you tonight. I want to tell you a story. Because our lives are built on stories. All of us love stories. And for some reason, recently, I found myself reading uh, some children's Bibles. Because... That's what I do. Uh, Don't ask why. Uh, I've been reading a lot of children's Bibles, and I came across one a couple weeks ago called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And you would think, John, that's a little strange. You can probably read a grown-up adult Bible now. But I was reading the introduction to this children's Bible, and it gripped me. Maybe this story isn't just for little kids in a manger scene. Listen to the introduction to the Bible. No, the Bible isn't a list of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It is an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. The best thing about this story is it's true. Oh, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and has come to rescue them. God has been painting a picture since the beginning of time, story after story after story, and tonight that painting, that masterpiece, culminates in an infant in a manger. Take a look and see if you can follow the story that is God is painting before us tonight. Let's take a look. And at the center of our story tonight is a baby. Almost like all of history, every Bible story that you've ever known finds its meaning tonight. As if every story in the Bible whispers the name Jesus. No, the Bible is not simply a book of rules and do's and don'ts that this God wants to steal all your fun. It is the greatest story ever told. And tonight I want to tell you a story about a God who has been pursuing us, who has been painting a masterpiece since the beginning of time, who has been pursuing you. And maybe tonight, he will whisper your name. And our story tonight begins not in a manger scene, but long ago in a garden. And so as God begins his masterpiece, he begins with paradise in a place called Eden. And the first chapter of our story begins not with the words, once upon a time, but with the words, in the beginning and after god creates this beautiful beautiful creation he says in genesis 1 he creates you and i he creates man and woman he says in my image in the image of god i will create them meaning from the very beginning you were created for a relationship with the god of the universe and God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. And you have complete freedom to do whatever you want. You can eat from any tree in the garden. You can explore this beautiful paradise. Only there's, there's one thing. God says, just live life my way. Don't try to step outside the boundaries. There's just one tree. Don't eat of that. And yet, we know that for a relationship to be true, for there to be true love, there has to be choice. One of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, writes this. Power. Power can do everything, but the most important thing. It cannot control love. And so God gives us this startling gift in the garden. He gives us choice whether to receive that love or to reject it. What kind of a God would take such a risk? What kind of a God would give us that choice? Well, a God that doesn't want puppets. A God who wants you. And so we know how the rest of the story goes. Adam and Eve take that choice and they eat of the only tree that God said not to. And yet when we arrive on the scene in Genesis chapter 3, we discover the heart of God. We read, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But listen to this. But the Lord God called out to them and said, where are you? Now, does God not know where they are? No, it's not a big game of hide and seek and God saying, I can't find you, I'm God. No, God knows exactly where they are. They're hiding in their guilt and in their shame. And I want to ask you that question tonight. Maybe not physically that question, where are you, you're here, but where are you in relationship to him? Are you, are you more like Adam and Eve tonight? Are you hiding somewhere in the garden? You, are you hiding from God? Or maybe the last few years, are you running from him? He's been pursuing you and you say, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live my life your way. I, I'd rather call the own shots in my own life just like Adam and Eve did. But I want you to see something at the very beginning of our story. When sin first creeps into the picture, who's pursuing? God. Not shaming, not laying on a guilt trip, pursuing them. He's saying to each of you tonight, Where are you? Stop running. Stop doing life your own way. Where are you? God says. And at the end of the first chapter of our story, the big question is Is the masterpiece ruined? Or will God continue to pursue us? Has God given up on his creation because there's this void now? There's this separation between us and our creator, and the fancy Bible word for that is sin. And because of that, our relationship with God has been broken. Will God continue to pursue? Well, we have to go to the next chapter to find that out. And the next chapter of our story is not in a garden, but along the banks of the Nile River. And there we find that Adam and Eve have multiplied, and they form this nation that is, well, it's God's nation, and they're called the Israelites, and the Israelites find themselves in oppression under the deep, dark rule of the Egyptian pharaoh. And I don't know, maybe you can relate to the Israelite style of life, but every day is the same. Get up, make bricks for pharaoh, work, break your back. Go to bed and do it all over again. Life for the Israelites is hard. It's boring. It's mundane. Can you relate? Has that been your year? Life just kind of blah? I mean, you... You get up, you, you, uh, you, you, your alarm goes off way too early. You get up, you rush out the door, you go to another day of work, you put in your time, you pick up the kids, you, you pay the bills, you take them to their activities, you tackle the to-do list, and maybe you find a little time for your spouse who is the love of your life, your highest priority. Well, and then we got to get the kids ready for bed and it's off to bed and then we get up tomorrow morning and we do it all over again. And it just drains you. Just like the Israelites, every day is the same. And you start to think, maybe this is just the way life is. Maybe this is all there is to being a Christian and, and following God. Maybe this is it. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thought. For some of you, you're sitting here tonight and because of the year that you're, you've had, you're saying, I don't really feel like laughing, John. John. Life's not a laughing matter. It's way too serious for that. I grew up and I became an adult. There's no room for Christmas joy, let alone joy, period. And maybe that's you tonight and that intimacy, that connection that you once had with God is gone and you think, I was created to simply get by, to survive another week. And I want to tell you tonight that that's just not true. It wasn't wasn't true for the Israelites, and it's not true for you. And that's why God, after 430 years, comes to his people and leads them out of the land of slavery and through the waters of the Red Sea as our story continues, and he sets them free. And I want to ask you tonight, where, where do you need some freedom in your life? What do you need to be set free from? Our God has not given up on you. And I just want to say to each of you tonight, if you're feeling lost or confused or fearful about the future, he has not given up on you. That's why we have Christmas. And he still says, I want to set you free. But our story doesn't end there. It continues. You would think after everything, everything that God's people have been through and all the ways that God has provided they wouldn't need any extra reminder. But they continue to turn away, and they turn to false gods and, and, and idols. And so God sends the prophets who write messages to God's people over and over and over again, saying, come back to me. Return to your first love. I'm still your God if you will be my people. And God leads them into the desert, and they continue to reject and deny him. And then God sends kings King after king, some good kings, some bad kings. One of them being King David. But even his life doesn't end well. And here we are at this point in the story and nothing has worked. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God continues to pursue his people. He even says to them one time in the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah, he says this, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. Yet my people have forgotten me. Oh, the agony of my heart. This is God speaking. The God of the universe says to you, let's read this together. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent. Do you know that tonight? The The God that created everything, who is telling this story, looks at you and says, My heart pounds within me for you. For you. And that's why I came. And he says, I don't want to so much give you a religion, I want to give you a life. I want to give you a life changing love. Over and over and over again, God pursues his people like a lover that is in desperate pursuit of the ones that he loves. But at this point in the story, it's still incomplete. There's something missing. Nothing can fill that void. Nothing can fill that chasm in God's masterpiece and in our hearts that yearns for a Savior. And thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, we receive one, and it's called Christmas. This is the make or break point for all of history. You see, there's only so much that you can do from a distance. I don't know, but maybe some of you have gone to a movie with your date on a date, with your fiancé, with your spouse. When you go to a movie theater... With the one that you love, do you sit at a distance? Do you sit on opposite sides of the theater, or do you sit next to each other? Where do you sit normally? Close or far away? Close, right? Close. How strange would it be to pursue somebody from across the theater? It's hard to love somebody from a distance. Imagine the scene. You're on a romantic date with your spouse at a romantic chick flick because your wife drug you to it. And there you are. And she's at one end of the theater, and you're at the other end of the theater. Can you imagine the scene? I love you! I am so in love with you too! This is a public place. There's people in between you. I have never felt so close to you in my life. This is so romantic. I can almost see you in the dark, right? It would never happen like that, right? That would just be weird. When lovers are in love, they they get close. You know that Hollywood moment when they're about to kiss and the camera comes in, the lights go down low, and the music swells. People in love were meant to be close. And the same is true with you and your God, there is only so much you can do from a distance because when it's a matter of love, you come yourself. How do I know this? How do I how did I learn this deep truth? Well, the one place that we truly learn a lot of the hard deep truths in life, junior high. You know what I'm talking about? So think about it. There I was, March of 1995, and I am in 7th grade. So you can do the math and think how old or young I am, whatever you want to do. I'm in 7th grade, and it is March 1995. There I am, and it is my first junior high dance. Now, when you think of junior high in your life, what are the first words that comes to mind about junior high? Awkward, right? Weird. Puberty, right? Awkward. It's a weird time of life. And nothing could be more awkward than a junior high dance. And we just happened to be in a gym tonight. But on one side of the gym, lined up a hundred teenage girls in their little flu-flu-flop-flop dresses with all their bells and whistles on. And it took them nine hours to get ready so that they could stay as far as possible away from every boy. And they're all lined up along here laughing and giggling and pointing and staring. Girls, why do you stare? A lot of staring, okay? So they're all over here. On the other side of the gym, 107th grade boys who are there in their khaki shorts and their docker shoes, penny loafers, and their tie that their mom made them wear. And they hate it. They would much rather be in the gym sweating than here in the gym dancing. And here they are with all the girls staring at them. Nobody's dancing. And in between, there is a great chasm dividing the possible romance and love. And there is that chasm because nobody in seventh grade wants to catch the deadly disease that is out there. Remember? Cooties, right? You don't want to get cooties, right? And so there's this big void. There's this chasm between them. And yet some guys were pretty adventurous and they ventured out. If you were a much older, mature eighth grader, you would venture out and you would start dancing. But at a junior high dance, it probably looks something like, actually, that's a picture of me in junior high there with my date. But there's a lot of room for the Holy Spirit at a junior high dance. You know what I'm saying? Like you could fit a couple balloons in between you and your date. Well, one of those brave lads was me. Why? You might ask. Well, because a pretty little young lady had caught my eye in English class. And I had known her for three whole weeks. It had to be true love. And so there I am. Actually, I'm not on the girl's side. I'm on the guy's side. And I'm like, okay, here I go into the deep, dark tundra, the, 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 the vast chasm that exists. And I've got to be smooth about it. And so I don't walk. I kind of Sachet over to the girl's side and everybody's watching and they're laughing and they're giggling and they're pointing and i go up to the girl of my dreams and i'm thinking hey i gotta be kind of smooth so i kind of do my whole joel cool thing i'm like hey and i probably went hey because i'm going through puberty and she looks at me and her entire posse of girls you know junior high girls they travel in packs of 16 right right never alone packs Her whole pack, her whole posse is standing there staring at me. The entire school is staring at me, and I try to ask her in some way, shape, or form, will you dance with me? And with the entire school watching, she looks me right in the eyes and starts bawling her eyes out and runs into the girl's bathroom where she spends the rest of the night. Smooth. Really, really smooth, John. So that's how my love life got started. And I tell you that story to tell you this. It's risky to love, isn't it? It's risky to take that walk across the room because when you get to the other side, that love might not be returned. And that's true whether it's in the Garden of Eden or a junior high gym or a little town called Bethlehem. When it's a matter of love, You have to go yourself. It's risky to love when you don't know what the response will be. And this love that I'm talking tonight is not some sappy, romantic, cheesy love that's from junior high. I'm talking about the love that the God of the universe has for you. And it's a fierce, passionate love that can change you from the inside out if you'll let it. And he was willing to come. He was willing to come. Not just across the gym floor, but to literally move heaven and earth for you. For you. That's why he came. To step into the darkness. And for, after 400 years of silence, the great pursuer returns. And we read in Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them and let's read this together what the angel said that night do not be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord has it ever occurred to you that the shepherds were night workers they worked the night shift Has it ever occurred to you that later on in the story, the wise men followed the star by night? Has it ever occurred to you that when Mary and Joseph had the baby, that the only light they had was possibly the light of the moon shining down in the manger? Has it ever occurred to you that in the Roman world at the time that Jesus was born into, it was dark with oppression, with poverty, with violence? Turns out our world is pretty much the same. Not much has changed in a couple thousand years, has it? Especially after the year that we've had as a nation. After the last couple weeks we've had. Sometimes it seems like the darkness is winning, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems like the world is so dark (laughs) that how could it possibly end well for us? There's so much oppression, so much... Violence, so much darkness, and the darkness is so real this year. Not just what happened in Connecticut and and Oregon, but the darkness is so real in here, in us. Or as Romans puts it, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe there's a reason that God came at night. Because do you remember the prophecy of old? The light will shine in the darkness, Isaiah says, and the darkness will never overcome it. Maybe we need to be reminded of that truth even more this year. That even though we live in darkness, there is a light that is breaking through and it wants to break through into your darkness tonight. Folks, we need something bigger than man-made laws. We need something bigger than happy thoughts. We need something more than religion. We need a light that can overcome the darkness. We need something bigger than death itself in order to fill that void. And 2,000 years ago on a starry night, we got it. The Gospel of John puts it this way, John 1.14, and let's read this together. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God took that long walk, not just across the gym floor, but from heaven to earth. For you. For you. And three years ago, thankfully enough, my pursuit of love did not end in junior high. It ended well. And three years ago, I found myself with a ring in my hand walking across the front stage floor of my home church with a ring in my hand, ready to get down on one knee, walking towards the most beautiful woman in the world, in my opinion. (laughs) Tiffany Elizabeth Weir. And I don't know, guys, if you've been in this moment you know before, nothing could be riskier, right? Because what if she says no? Well, luckily, I'd kind of romanced it up a little bit, and I had, uh, I'd read her some of our favorite scriptures, and I'd sprinkled flowers, and the whole front of the church was lit up by candles. I even wrote and played for her a song on the guitar. Yes, I'd stepped it up a little bit since junior high. I'd kind of worked on that. And there I am, and as I'm getting ready to get down on one knee, it almost feels like my heart is physically outside of my body, so vulnerable, laid out in front of her. And somehow, Lord, by the grace of God, she said, yes. And I am just bawling my eyes out. She's fine, I'm bawling my eyes out. And I'm there, and we embrace, and I just remember... and. Guys, husbands, you know this feeling all too well. In that moment as we're embracing, I just have this feeling deep down inside of me that there is nothing that I wouldn't do for her. Nothing. There's nothing that's going to ever change how much I love her. And I would hope all the way to even laying down my life for her with a fierce love. And then I have to remember that the love that I felt for her, and guys, the love that you have maybe felt, is only a fraction of the love that your heavenly Father has for you. Because you do know that the pursuit of your heart didn't stop in a manger, that that baby grew up and became a man and became... A savior. He didn't just stay a cute little baby, but he became a man who took the longest, most riskiest, most difficult walk in the history of mankind up a hill to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And that little baby became a man who stretched out his arms and said, this is how much I love you. And he was nailed and died on a cross to say, the darkness will never, never extinguish the light. And my love for you is deeper and greater than your sin and your rebellion will ever be. We're not just here tonight to worship a baby. We're here to worship a Savior. And tonight, he says to each of you, I've given you my life. Will you trust me with yours? Will you trust me enough to let me fill your soul with my love? Because after all, Jesus Christ did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came on this Christmas night to make dead people come to life. Not just physically dead, but in here. To pour his life into your soul. And I want you to, rem- if you don't remember anything else tonight, I want you to remember this that he has been pursuing you since the day you were born. And his invitation to you tonight is not a list of rules, and it's not religion, and it's not another church service. It's life, it's love its peace and its joy that you will not find anywhere else but here. Or as the children's Bible concludes, when it all comes down to it, it comes down to a baby in a manger. When it all comes down to it, he is the one the only one that can fill that void. He is the one that comes into that void, into the darkness of our world and fills it. And so the author writes, at the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. And then listen to this. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Because when it all comes down to it, strip away everything else this Christmas. It comes down to a baby in a manger who is your Savior. Go with me to Bethlehem and welcome in the Christ child. If you'll let him can change everything. The baby changes everything if you'll receive him. The light shines in the darkness tonight if you'll receive it. Let's stand together.